Thanks for tuning in. The following audio is from Redemption Church, located in the heart of San Francisco, California. We are a multi-ethnic intergenerational church that exists to make disciples. For more information, visit www.redemptionsf.com. six verses, but we'll look at the entire chapter. Uh, Listen to the word of the Lord from Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There are also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields our vineyards and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Um, Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. And Nehemiah says this, I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. This is God's word. Amen, church? Amen. I want to spend our time together uh, with this thought, not forgotten. Not forgotten. Uh, Did you know that Western Brazil is literally home to uh, the single most tribes of Um, uncontacted people. And it blows my mind uh, that uh, you can see some of these images that in 2016, a photographer who was on the way by way of plane uh, was traveling over the Amazon and he had decided to, he was going to actually um, photograph some contacted people groups in the forest. And he came across these images of a group, a tribe of people in the Amazon that had never been contacted before. Nobody knows what language they speak to to communicate with one another. Nobody has a clue about who they are or, uh, or, or anything about them for this matter. And so he decided to take some images of them and it just blows my mind that they literally live in this primitive form really have no understanding of the outside world. It's been said that this same photographer uh, is a professional photographer, uh, and he photographs uh, contacted people groups in the Amazon. And as there's been communication back and forth, these contacted groups have uh, communicated with folks who are experts, and they've told them that they initially thought that helicopters were large birds. They didn't realize that people actually were on the inside of these helicopters. You got these images. And do you know that there are entire groups, uh, entire organizations that literally spend their efforts and their time lobbying for the protection of these uncontacted peoples? Did you know that there are entire organizations and entire groups that use all of their funding to acquire planes and helicopters to then drop supplies for the the benefit of these uncontacted people groups. Blows me away to see just a flight away 
folks like this exist. This is normal life to them. And yet there's entire groups that say, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend our time and our efforts for the benefit of others. We're going to drop some supplies. And I would imagine, I, 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 would, I would just want to know what's going through the minds of uncontacted people groups when they get supplies of tools and medicine and food. I would, I would imagine maybe it's just a whisper that, man, we are unforgotten. We, we, somebody, somebody out there hadn't forgotten about us. And I think when we come to Nehemiah chapter 5, the message oozes from the pages that God hadn't forgotten about the least, the marginalized, and the oppressed. That God has not forgotten about the poor. One of the messages that is critical to who we are as Christians is that the God of the Bible is for the oppressed and the poor. And it's just ironic that we come across this passage as we're studying the book of Nehemiah. Some people may have less, but hear me, church, it doesn't mean that God cares about them less. In fact, in Psalm 82, verses 3 through 4, it says it this way. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Hear me loud and clear. God will not stand for the marginalized, the poor, and the oppressed, and the vulnerable being oppressed. God won't stand for it. God stands up for those who are forgotten by society, and in the eyes of God, they are not forgotten. And it is from the heart of God that he stands up for those who are forgotten. We see this in Nehemiah chapter 5. So the nation of Israel, they, they are experiencing serious poverty. People were depending upon family members to help put food on the table because uh, they couldn't do it themselves. They couldn't provide for themselves. They're literally taking out second mortgages, per se, and they're filing bankruptcy to try to stay afloat and to put food on the table. I mean, the crisis of 2008 has nothing on what's happening here in antiquity. They're going to payday lenders and loan sharks to try to pay their bills. And ironically, it's crazy because you always kind of get a sense of what part of town you're in. You always know that, that times are hard for folks. If you go to a certain part of town, you make a wrong turn and all of a sudden you find yourself, there's check cash in places, payday lenders, there, there's there's these high interest car loan lots. You always know why. Because they are literally preying on the poor. They're literally hiking interest rates to prey on the few dollars that the poor have. So I know they, they will need a payday loan. I know money is tight, so I'll charge 25% interest just so they can get a few dollars. And the next thing you know, they're paying me back triple praying on the poor. This is what's happening to the nation of Israel in Nehemiah. Things had gotten so bad that they're literally selling their own children into slavery. 
People are desperate. They are hungry. They don't know where their next meal is coming from. And at every turn, because of their desperation and their poverty, the marginalized are being uh, violated at every single turn. Then look at verse 6 here. Nehemiah says this, I was angry when I heard their outcry in these words. He says, I was, I was infuriated. Can I ask you this morning, are you angry over injustices in our society? Does it anger you when the poor doesn't get a fair shot? Does it even bother you? Does it even rub you the wrong way? Does it upset you to know that there are some who don't have quality access to health care? Does that upset you? Does it upset you to know that people are locked in jails all over our country without being found guilty simply because they cannot afford to bond themselves out? Does that upset you? That due process is not given to the poor? Most times, does it upset you to know that every child graduating in our society and in our country does not graduate high school knowing how to read? Does that upset you? Does that bother you? Are you angered by voting legislation that literally suppresses the vote of people who cannot afford to get an ID. Does that bother you? Are you angered by the oppression of the poor? There should be some righteous anger in us when it comes to the treatment of the poor. And Nehemiah doesn't just get angry, church. You know what he does? He takes action. And in so doing, in Nehemiah's taking action, God communicates loud and clearly to you and I in Nehemiah's narrative that as it relates to the poor, to the oppressed, and to the vulnerable, that God has not forgotten about them, that God hadn't turned a blind eye, that he uses even somebody as, as, as broken as Nehemiah. He uses a person in exile in a foreign land like Nehemiah to communicate to the masses and to communicate to you and I that God hadn't forgotten about the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed, that he cares. Um, so, so if you think about it this way, there's, I mean, think about it this way. There's, there's people who have a lot. There's people that have a little. There's people that just don't have much at all. And as it relates to our systems, as it, as it relates to our society, can we just be honest about it? As it relates to the broken systems in our country, even in our city, as it relates to housing and the unhoused, the, the, there's people who just have more. And, and here's what, what I'm not saying God isn't condemning the wealthy. That's not what he's doing. But God has a heart for the poor, those that society has casted aside. God says, I care for them. And here it is. Those that, that have more sit in a high place. Th those that have more, man, they, they can get out of 
uh, legal binds and they can afford to hire, hire a lawyer and they can afford to pay their way through college and to get some of the best education and those that have more just have access and power. And then those, there, there's those that just don't have as much. They, they still have some stuff, right, you know? But then the, there, there's those that just don't have as much and maybe they live check to check and it, it's, it's tough, you know. They might still have some access, but then it's those that can't even afford the other O and the R. They poke. It's those that, there's those that are sitting on the bottom. Do y'all realize that there are people who exist every day in our country and even in our city called the working poor who work 40 and 50 and 60 hours a week and cannot make ends meet. And I think the, the God of the Bible communicates to them, to those who sit on the bottom. I'm for you. I love you. And I haven't forgotten about you. That's the blessing of Christianity. And the God of the scriptures invites you and I into that same kind of affection for the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed. Church, we are his hands and feet, and he is now inviting us into a unique relationship and a unique call. And there are some of us, maybe we're hearing this and we're kind of preparing ourselves, yet there are some folks who are called to that kind of justice ministry and there are some folks who are called to care. No, you're called to care. If you claim the name of Jesus Christ, you and I are called to care. And Nehemiah was called to care. Can you imagine a person who is in exile himself but is a cupbearer to the king, has much privilege and status? Can you imagine he could have heard about the news of the poor being violated and oppressed, and he could have turned a blind eye to it? Like he could have just turned his back, but that's not what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah doesn't simply get angry. Here's what he does. Listen to this. He speaks truth to power. I love this. This dude is like, there's some of us who feel like, man, the Bible is not interesting, but this is interesting. Like, this is a page turner. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says this way. He took legal action against the nobles and the officials. Then watch this in verse 7. And I held a great assembly against them. Oh, it's getting heated. He gathered people together and held a great assembly. He pulled a bunch of people together. And you know what they did? Not only did they file legal charges, but he pressured them. Nehemiah actually set up a protest to lay on the heat because the poor were being oppressed and violated. And Nehemiah said, the God that I serve is not allowing it to go down like this. So he called his friends and his community together, and he let them know, like, we cannot stand for this 
And what did they do? They hit the streets because of the vulnerable among them. And Nehemiah led an action against the powers that be. Nehemiah, uh, he, he led and pressured them with civil unrest. Watch this. He says, we bought back those that you enslaved, and now you're trying to profit by selling us more slaves. How crooked can you be? How dare you violate the poor this way? He says, God won't stand for it. Can you imagine what Nehemiah was probably told in response? Nehemiah, it's just not time for you to be creating so much ruckus. Nehemiah, you, you, you got to figure out another way. Just let things move through the legal process. Tell all these people to go home that you've assembled here. Just come on, Nehemiah, like think about this. It's not the right time. Why can't you just calm down? Can you just get all of these people out of here? And what did he do in response? He spoke truth to power. And it's that same righteous anger that Jesus had in Matthew chapter 21, when all of a sudden the, 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 the temple became this like money changing, uh, selling all these items, this, this, same kind of, uh, this same kind of righteous anger Nehemiah had. Remember what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 21? Jesus flipped up those tables. He said, my house should be a house of prayer, not a den of thieves, not a house of robbers. And Nehemiah was frustrated and angry in the same way that Jesus was over injustice. And even in Proverbs chapter 31, verses 8 through 9, look at this with me. It says, open your mouth for the mute. For the rights of all who are destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. At every turn in the scriptures, it is an expectation that Christians would speak up for the vulnerable. I remember in 2014, y'all, when um, everything hit with the Michael Brown case in Ferguson, Missouri, and I'm born and raised in St. Louis, and so Ferguson is essentially home 10 minutes from where I, I grew up. My mom lives in Ferguson right now. And when I heard of the incident, it broke my heart, and now hear me. I'm not speaking to the details of that specific case because when my family and I, when we decided to put boots on the ground and hit the streets, it was about the Michael Brown case, but it was about something much larger. It was, a, it was about this problem that many of us had experienced. It was about systemic problems. It, it, it was what the Washington Post had examined uh, post the Michael Brown case. And they literally sent reporters and began digging into kind of the landscape of what was happening in St. Louis and what they found a proven uh, investigation, what they found was there were literally municipalities, including Ferguson, that their entire court systems were, were oppressing and violating the poor via minor traffic violations. And literally, they were using these traffic violations to supply 80 to 90 percent, in some cases, of their entire small government budgets. 
I mean, we're talking about the poor being violated over uh, seatbelt tickets. Can you imagine? And the community felt this over an extended period of time and decided based on what they saw from this, enough is enough. Hundreds of thousands of people hit the streets and began to protest. And it wasn't merely about this individual case. It was about what many of us had felt. At 16 years old, I can't even tell you how many times I've been pulled out of the car by police and sat on the curb for no apparent reason. No ticket, no, no violation, trunk popped open, seats, and many of us were tired. We were exhausted and decided, you know what, We've, we, we, we need to do something. And we hit the streets. Can I ask you, how will you be remembered? <laughs> like, what side of history will you land on? As it relates to the treatment of the poor, the most vulnerable in our society, where will you land? Like, how will, how, what will be your legacy? How will you be remembered? What, what does your budget look like? Does it show that you actually care about the most vulnerable in our society? They spoke truth to power. Or will you be remembered for apathy? Will you be remembered for silence? Will you, what will you be remembered for? What will your legacy be? But secondly, Nehemiah's example shows us we, we actually need to offer tangible uh, support to the most vulnerable. We, we need to offer tangible support to the most vulnerable. Nehemiah says this in verse 10. Look at this with me. My brothers and I, my servants are lending money and food to the poor. They're doing so interest-free. Love this. Here they are. They saw a need, and they begin lending money and food to the poor, interest-free. There are other parts of Scripture where business owners are encouraged to leave a portion of their field so that the poor can glean from their field so that the poor can come in and cultivate the land on the edges so that they can, they can have uh, some, some food to provide for their family or something to, to sell. Like, you and I can't simply say, you know what, I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to pray for you. I'm praying for you. Like, I'm, I, I hear you. Man, that sounds terrible. I'm praying for you. But we've also got to move into action and give tangible support. Nehemiah showing us we cannot just turn a blind eye, but we've got to give real support. Of course, we can't do everything, but we're, we're, whatever we're able to do, you and I should show up. We need to show up with our time. We need to show up with our talents. We need to show up with our treasure. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And you and I should hear whatever you didn't do for the least of these, you didn't do for me. And this is one of the reasons why 
we invite you to give so often we it's one of the reasons why we invite you to serve and come alongside of us as we partner with other organizations this is why we uh, invite you to contribute a gift card or this is why we invite you to contribute some diapers for those that may need it and this is why we invite you to partner and to contribute because we can't just simply say we we're praying for you praying but we've got to lend, lend tangible support as well. Uh, there was a woman in my church in Tennessee years ago, and an older woman, and uh, the most hospitable woman you would ever meet. Uh, literally been to her home many of times. She lived in a rough part of Memphis, and uh, she was literally considered the mother of the neighborhood. I mean, because when people needed a place to stay, she would open up her home and she would let them stay uh, on her, sleep on her couch or sleep on her floor. She had multiple people at a time. If somebody uh, was hungry, they could come and get a plate from Miss Betty's house. Everybody knew this. And uh, I, I, sadly enough, she um, uh, just a couple years ago, her house burned down to the ground. House completely burned down. This is a woman who was a mother to the entire neighborhood, and she would literally host a nonviolent uh, block party for the last 20 years in front of her house in the entire neighborhood, and local politicians would come, and her son would be on the grill. For the last 20 years, she'd been serving and loving the neighborhood, and her house tragically burned down. They lost everything. And you know what happened? The church came together, donated supplies, donated building materials. A Christian contractor came and rebuilt that house, put it all back together. Furniture was donated. Why? Because that's what the church should be. That's who the church should be. That's, that's how we should respond to the needs all around us. I can guarantee you, in that moment, she watched that house come back over a long period of time. And as she watched donations come in, I can guarantee I can guarantee you that, that God had was a whisper to her heart that God sees you, that God loves you, and that God cares for you. He hadn't forgotten. And lastly, Nehemiah shows us that we are to use our power and our platform to benefit the marginalized. Like we, we are to use all that we have and all that we are to benefit the marginalized and the oppressed. Nehemiah uses his power and his platform. Look at this in verse 11. He gives back their fields, their vineyards, their, he says, he says to them, hey, to the officials and to the nobles, give their stuff back. He uses his power. He uses his platform. He uses his influence to say, give their fields, give their vineyards, give their olive orchards, Give their homes back. Give their money that you've stolen. Give it back. Their grain, their wine, their oil. 
He's the Chavez of antiquity. He says, give back all that you've stolen from them. The nobles and the officials, you know what they actually do? They agree. And, and they make a promise in a covenant to give back all that's owed to the nation of Israel. And the passage ends with Nehemiah explaining that as a governor, that he could have continued the same trajectory of other governors, that he could have demanded a tax that they would pay him. And you know what he did? He said, I'm, it's, 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 it's too much on the people. They're already in poverty. They're already broken. They cannot afford it. It's too much. We're doing away with this tax. He uses his power. He uses his platform to be a blessing to the poor and, and to not oppress them. He uses his platform and his voice to benefit the poor and the needy. Do you know that this is the example of Jesus that all throughout Jesus' ministry, as he was going about healing and raising people up, Jesus never, uh, he, he, he never just looked at the poor, the needy. He never looked at those beggars and said, you know what, I don't have time for you. He paused for those who were born blind. He paused for the woman with the issue of blood. He paused for the blind beggar. He paused for the lame, those that have been cast out to the edges of society. You know what Jesus does? He stops for them. And he, he uses this as an example for his disciples as they stand off in the distance and watch that God cares for the broken and the oppressed. That God hadn't forgotten about the poor and the marginalized. That those who are weak and needy, that God cares for them and God hadn't forgotten about them. What, what do you think about when you hear the name Jay-Z and Beyonce? Like, what do you think about when you, you I, I'll tell you what, I, I think about Blue Ivy. She's a ruckus, right? Uh, I, I think about, I don't think this song will ever get old. Oh, the single lady, oh, will that song ever get old? Like, I don't think it will ever get old. I, I think about that, but but I also think about, all the philanthropy work that Jay-Z and Beyonce, that they're a part of. Like literally they, on a regular basis, without any media coverage, they're paying for uh, less fortunate kids to go to college. On a regular basis, you know what they're doing? They are bailing protesters out of jail. Like on a regular basis, they're fighting to to get people that have heavy drug uh, 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 um, offenses and have been convicted of, of significant drug crimes, like marijuana crimes, out of federal prison on a regular basis. And would you know that you and I have something greater? We have a greater motivation in the gospel of Jesus Christ than Jay-Z and Beyonce, than Jay and Bay. Like, we have a greater motivation in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Because the reality of the story is that while we were our weakest, that while we were the neediest, that while we were drowning in our sin, Christ died for us. Hallelujah. That Jesus came for the poor. 
He came for the broken. Jesus said, I'm not coming for those that have it all together. I'm coming for the sick. I'm coming for the needy. I'm coming for the marginalized. I'm coming for those who are poor. Those whose sin has gotten the best of them. And he lives out this example for us through obedience at the cross of Calvary. And he expresses to each one of us that this is the life that you ought to live. God hadn't forgotten about you. He sent his only son when you are poor and broken. Now you shouldn't forget about those in our city. That your bank account should reflect that your time and your iCal calendar should reflect that you care for the poor and the broken in our society. Amen. Father, we thank you. Thank you that you hadn't forgotten about those that have been cast aside. And I pray, Lord God, that you would indeed continue to show up, Lord. I pray you would use us, use your church as your hands and your feet. I pray, God, that you would send us out, Lord God, as your plan A for those who have great need. Lord, give us innovation. Give us the resources, Lord God. Give us the partnerships. God, give us the consistency to show up and to serve and love those who are broken. Father, we confess today that we've been consumed with ourselves and we've been blind at times to the needs of our city and our society. Lord, we confess that today. And Lord, give us the chance to start anew right here, right now, that we may be your hands and your feet that indeed, God, our hearts may break for what breaks yours. And that you would use us to whisper to the poor and the broken in our city, God hadn't forgotten you. God hadn't forgotten you. God hadn't forgotten about you. In Jesus' name.